Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hi, I'm John McEnroe. I'm Bjorn Borg. This is Martina Navratilova. I'm Mats Wilander. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. And you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Well, not a single ball has been hit today at the French Open because it has poured with rain. And just before five o'clock local time, the organisers decided to send everybody home for the day, including Catherine Whitaker, who we've given the night off to. Uh, and it means that all of the remaining quarterfinals will be pushed to Thursday. Johanna Conta's semi against Marketa von Drusheva will be played like all of the other men's and women's semis now on Friday. So pushed back 24 hours. Real shame. Real shame for all those ticket holders that have just had a total washout today. So, what are we going to talk about on the Tennis Podcast today? Luckily, we have a plan. And it involves Matt Roberts, uh, who who left us on Monday from Paris, but not before doing an absolutely fascinating interview with a man that I've been trying to speak to for a couple of months. It's Andrei Medvedev. He was known as one of the most entertaining and interesting men in the interview room 25 years ago when he was on the tour. Um, he'd go off on tangents. He'd talk about things other players wouldn't dare to get into and, and frankly weren't interested in either. But he was 18 years of age. He was fun. It was all new to him. And he was such a good player to watch. I remember when I was really just getting into the sport and watching an awful lot of tennis around about 1993. He got to the, the French Open semi-finals, aged just 18 years of age, beat Stefan Edberg and then eventually lost out to event, the eventual champion, Sergi Bruguera. And it was, it was just so much fun to watch because as much as being a big baseline grinder, he also had beautiful touch. He, he'd hit beautiful lobs. I remember Stefan Edberg just marauding into the net time after time and getting lobbed and passed and the ball at his shoelaces and and he had no answer at all those soft hands of Medvedev were, were just too much for him and if you put him on a sort of slow wet hard court like we would have had today if they'd got any play at all he was almost unbeatable he won the tournament in in Hamburg which was often damp and cold and, and he won it four times nobody could get near him and I think though when you listen to this interview that Matt has done with him, you, you'll you'll hear that his his motivation levels weren't always sort of constant, and and that only made the way he ripped through the French Open draw in 1999 
leading Andre Agassi by two sets to love in the final. It was just an absolute bolt out of the blue. The players he beat, Gustavo Curtin on the way to the final. He beat Pete Sampras on the way. And then he was so close. He was he was one set away from winning the French Open. And that was having been ranked lower than 100 in the world just to, uh, at that particular time. And it, it was one of those finals that was going to be a, a great story no matter what because... All the media, we all loved Andre Medvedev. Obviously, everybody loved Andre Agassi, and his was an extraordinary comeback story. And coming back to winning five, he completed the career Grand Slam. So, 20 years on, here we are in 2019. Rarely hear from Andre Medvedev these days in tennis circles. I mean, I managed to track him down. I got a number for him, sent him countless messages. He replied to one or two and and we just we didn't manage to make an interview work and and then he sort of drifted off the radar and i i i sent 12 unanswered messages which i assumed would mean that he just frankly didn't want to come on the podcast and didn't i wouldn't get the chance to to hear from him at all then out of the blue when the french open started he sent me a message and said i'm here i'm in paris do you want to have this interview and of course i'm not there because of my work at queens for the fever tree championships so along, I sent Matt Roberts, who started the conversation by asking him what it was like being back at Roland Garros, with all of its changes 20 years on. Well, it always feels the same in Paris. It always feels um, as an important part of the year, one of the most interesting and intriguing tournament to play and to win. I think it would be safe to say that it's the most physical tournament of the year where you have to win seven matches, best of five sets on clay. And it's always nice to be here. It's uh, the crowd, it's the place, it's um, the the forest. It's Rolangaro's site that makes it special. And uh, I'm happy that they extend the, the property. I'm happy that they build a beautiful new courts. And uh, it's nice to see the tournament grow. It will be the, the last Grand Slam that has the roof for the next year, and so there will be no interruption of, of a great tennis. Uh, of course, the memories of 20 years ago are still sometimes coming back to me, and uh, yeah, it was a great tournament, great year in general. So, thinking back of, of, of that time, um, a lot of things changed in tennis, but uh, it's still great. It's still the same games, great players, and uh, it's just nice to come back here. So you mentioned 1999. Just before Roland Garros, would it be fair to say you were at one of your lowest out, points? Yeah. yeah, yeah, I was out of competition. <clears throat> I had the injury, and uh, I didn't have much motivation before the tournament. Uh, it was the some coincidences that happened before, before Paris that... Uh, got me back on track, I started practicing again and I was just waiting for the wrist injury to end. I changed the rackets, I changed the clothes and uh, well I came here without any expectations but already ready to, to play and uh, finally I had no pain in the wrist which was important. And, and, there, and there was a match in Monte Carlo which you lost to Lubacic I lost I to Lubacic and uh, I lost it badly, I won the set I think 7-6 and lost 6-6-1 uh, six six on clay. 
in my hometown at that time and uh, yeah it was painful it was uh, with all the respect to Ivan at that time of, of his career I should have won the match especially on clay so that was devastating the pain of the wrist was bothering me for a while and uh, yeah I found that it will be difficult to continue in these conditions the momentarily decision was the snap decision was to, to quit and then um, to see what I can do in life differently but then after a few days and especially talk with Andre who I played in the final in the nightclub in Monte Carlo yeah it, it really changed he offered an advice which I never heard before from the professional that uh, you need to practice less but much harder so instead of six hours you should go for one hour or one and a half hours but full out without stops and I thought that this mentality could work for me. I started to wait when my wrist will, uh, will become better. And I thought for sure, well, I want to try it. I want to try to keep my mind fresh from tennis, play one and a half, two hours a day, but very hard, and do the rest fitness. So I was, I was well prepared physically before, before Roland Garros. And then uh, again, the chain of coincidences, the good draw. I played Sampras in the second round on clay. He was not in, the, in his best form. I played the French guys who got nervous. I got Mili Jenny, who's a great player, but in the semis. So I went far. And I fairly think that I should have won the final if I didn't make the, the tactical mistakes. So, so that chat with Agassi, that was a really, really big turning point for you? Yeah, it's true. It's, it's, it was important because, uh, first of all, I saw tennis players in a relaxed atmosphere. I, at that time, I didn't go often to the nightclubs, or if I went to the nightclubs, it wouldn't be where the tennis players are, you know. And there I saw some guys, uh, you know, in a relaxed atmosphere. They do uh, what the other people do in the nightclub. For me, it was... It was strange because they were still in the tournament. I lost first round and it was Monday or something like this. And I saw these guys were still in the drawing. They enjoying life like, you know, like I would only dream about. <laughs> and then I saw Andre. He was there with, with his friend and uh, uh, he saw that I'm not in a great mood. He told me that he was surprised that I lost today to Ivan. And, you know, I told him my story. I said, fuck it, you know, I don't want to go because it's, it's painful. It it's doesn't make sense, doesn't bring pleasure to life. And he offered me this advice. I mean, who would know that we would meet in the most important match of his life? I think, and is it turned out to be most important match of my life uh, a few a few weeks later? But yeah, it's true. It's and and was there fresh. something about Agassi who had been at the top, fallen down, and climbed back up that was inspiration for you as well? That not. Uh, we saw many players coming back and forth. Let's say, and uh, yes, Andre was uh, significant that he came from 141 to number one or something like that, you know, and in a pretty short time. And he was not, um, what do you say, he was not worried about playing the challengers and going a step down or step back and, and looking forward. So, yes, he he earns a lot of respect from from everybody. And uh, yeah, it was a great honor that to be in this historical involved to be involved in this historical moment so one of the keys to playing great tennis is more time in nightclubs and <laughs> no <laughs> no definitely not but yes you can you can enjoy the life you know everybody's different and uh, for example i i went to bed early always but i woke up at 5:36 automatically without the alarm and i love the mornings mm-hmm. and i still do and now i wake up even earlier okay. than when i played because i enjoy the early mornings you know and i really don't like the night too far because i tried it all <laughs> and, uh, 
And for my body, for my, uh, for my personality, I like the early hours. So everybody is different. And then when, when, you, when I went during the tournament, I, first of all, I didn't expect to see any, any tennis players there. But there were a lot. And they were all having fun. It was about 12 at night or 11 at night, which was for me was a ridiculous time. Everybody should be at bed at, at mm-hmm. this moment. So it makes, me, it makes you look differently. And although I was not a junior, or I was an experienced player on the tour by that time. I was 25 years old and, uh, you know, had some ups and downs. I didn't see that, uh, that the players are doing that and enjoying it. So instead of taking everything seriously, I, I looked at it differently. I looked at having more fun, having more, it doesn't have to be so strict. It has to be more, you know, this way. And uh, you also have to remember that I came from the Soviet Union school. You know, mm-hmm. now, for example, when, when the guys are coming from Ukraine or former Soviet Union republics, they already school. They have a European school. They have our history. They know our mistakes. And then, back then, we were the first ones. <laughs> we didn't know what we're doing, if it's right or wrong. And uh, yeah, for sure, we made some mistakes. And um, when you got to Roland Garros in 1999. I've- I've heard Goran Ivanisevic say about his run at Wimbledon in, in, in 2001 that something just happened when he walked through the gates. He kind of sensed that something special was about to happen. Did you have that sense at all? or Not, not, really? at, not at all. You know, it's, um, it happened that uh, longer was since 14 years old, since 15 years old. I don't remember when the first time I played here exactly. I fell in love. I love this place till this day. Now, for me, it's the biggest event of my year to come for to one week to play uh, at the Trophy Legend. It's true. Mm-hmm. I like it so much. I cannot say the same about Wimbledon or Australian Open or US Open, although I love these tournaments as well. This one is special for me, you know. And uh, and it was special for you even before you y- had this run? Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. It was the first time, you know, you, you go by juniors. You go Australian Open, French Open, Wimbledon, and then US Open. And then you see what is more f- for your, you know, where you feel more comfortable. At the US Open at that time, it was a player's lounge was a tent with, the, with everybody and, you know, you don't feel comfortable there. And Wimbledon was, was one badge per, per year for, for, you know, for the whole team of, you, mm-hmm. know, you know, so they were tight with tickets. Australians were, were great, but it was, you know, far and, and hot for, for the junior. French was perfect. It was a little bit rainy, a little bit hot, a little bit in Europe, you know, nice uh, trees. You know, you, I feel comfortable. And, uh, and I know that many players love Wimbledon and love Australian Open in front of Roland Garros, and I understand why. Mm-hmm. For me, this one was special. So at that time, uh, when I got into Roland Garros, I was like one... Uh, uh, the one before last one in the entry list mm-hmm. I knew that I might not get into the main draw and so when I got into the main draw it was already a relief that I'm here <laughs> that I'm not you know going through the qualities to have a feeling that I would go far no 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 way no every match was like let's see if I can win and you mentioned you played Pete Sampras in the second round I, I read a quote from you once saying beating Pete Sampras at backgammon is great because yes. he's so competitive yes. and invincible yes. and everything so can you talk a bit about playing Pete Sampras here in that year? What do you remember? That, that, yeah, I remember that it was an ugly match. I knew that he was not coming in with a great form. And I knew that, of course, I have weapons to beat him. Uh, in fact, I probably it was one of the most nervous matches of, of the life. Because I knew that if I, I, I can pass him, I can win, I should I felt that I should pass him and should win mm-hmm. in the conditions that he's in right now. So, he, you know, he had troubles on the clay with the, with the 
you, you could really push him back from the court and and make him work and then uh, and then beat him especially best of five and so I knew that I have to use my chance and uh, it was a nervous match uh, I watched the, the, the I went to the cinema that it turned out to be a patriotical movie that I watched I was pumped up and uh, yeah I remember the match was late in the afternoon we both played not great <laughs> this I remember happy to go through and of course when you beat Sampras even if uh, even if you play bad, or even if you both play bad, your opponent who you play next knows that you beat Sampras. And so, yeah. <laughs> you know, it helped, I think. It helped a lot. So if Sampras wasn't a natural clay quarter, Gustavo Curtin, who you beat in the semi-finals, definitely was. In quarters. In quarters, sorry, yeah. yeah. So that was a, another big hurdle. Well, you know, I, I, I must tell you honestly, I was really fit uh, before Roland Garris. I wasn't sure about tennis, how it will go. But then uh, when I won... Uh, uh, the first four rounds, which were all very nervous matches, especially against Byron, uh, Wayne Black in the third round, and then uh, Arno Di Pascale. Mm-hmm. He was up, he was leading the first set, I think, 4-1, second set, 4-1, I won 7-6, 7-6, 6-1. And so, you know, by that time, I got already my mistakes away, I got my feeling, my rhythm. Physically, I was ready, and I wanted to take revenge for the matches that I lost to uh, Guga before because they were painful <clears throat> and uh, I planned the, 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 the tactic that I would always use against him and I executed perfectly by that time in the quarters I was ready already I was not uh, this tourist kind of guy who goes into the tournament who get in you know one of the last mm-hmm. ones not in a great form didn't play a match for a couple months and you know coming back from injury so at the quarterfinal I was ready to go I was rested I was you know I knew what to do and I was I was already confident I played this was one of the cleanest matches that I played uh, in the career especially from the attacking side mm-hmm. I think I I won I went to the net more than 50 times and I won them either all or just one uh, you know where I lost which is unbelievable in my opinion uh, percentage-wise, now I'm coaching, and uh, you know the, the player who comes in more than 50 times in three sets and and win them all is a genius. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you seem I to have an amazing recall of all these matches. No, I read the history. Okay, I, I don't remember any matches, but uh, I was getting ready for the for an interview for about this, and I thought it would be fair if uh, mm-hmm. a lot of people ask out of respect to Andre because it's his success. You know, I was just a part of this uh, story. Okay. I think it would be fair to remember details correctly. You know, only out of this, because uh, if you ask me what I really felt against uh, Fernando Meligeni or Gustavo, or I would lie if I say that uh, I remember anything. Okay. It was so tight, so nervous. Um, I can only explain that I played good, bad, more or less good, like this. <laughs> but I don't uh, recall the fighting moments. Now, as a statistic, I saw that, mm-hmm. yes, I was losing there, I was losing there, I, you know. But, uh, yeah, it just shows that it's not so, uh, you know, the road is not uh, only for Rafa, he can do it. He knows <laughs> the, the way around Paris, how to win all in three sets. But, in fact, it's, it's a tough tournament and a uh, beautiful one. Yeah. And so in the final, you're facing Andre Agassi. Can you remember how it felt to be playing him so soon after your chat with him in Monte Carlo? Did you... Did you think that gave you an edge in a way? Because I remember <laughs> I've read Andre saying that he thought maybe he'd inspired you. He'd brought out this best tennis definitely, in you. Definitely, yes. Uh, he did inspire. It's a, it's a true story. And um, in fact, uh, I told you from my side that it's not. Uh, it wasn't 
an inspiring speech. He offered the, the way he used uh, he used to practice mm -hmm. to change his practice regime. He told me that uh, in this one and a half hours that uh, that uh, you practice, you cannot uh, you cannot sit down, you cannot drink water. You have to drink water and go to play. You have to play as hard as you can. And he told me that more than 45 minutes will be difficult for the first time. Imagine, you know, the guy who practices six hours every day, you say 45 minutes will be difficult. I was excited, you know, because he's a pro, he's a, he's a really respected player and pers person at any time. Before he was coming, at the time he came on the circuit, while he was on the circuit, with all the mistakes that he made, he was still very respected. And then he gave me a, a view that maybe could help and it helped but then uh, what, what was important we played in a different part of, of the draws and then at the days off he my days off he had matches and it happened that uh, he you don't see players no it's, you saw it's a big turn for the first four matches it happened that he saw me after the the, the match by coincidence mm -hmm. and all the time said well done well done well done <laughs> he's not uh, not after the Quertan but up until Quertan <laughs> four matches in a row he saw me by accident and said well done good job so it's almost fate <laughs> it's almost fate to me yeah, yeah. and you were famously <laughs> leading the final two sets to love yep. and then just as it is now here at Roland Garros it started to rain yeah, it's, it was not the um, it was not the um, the reason for okay. the loss. Uh, I wouldn't blame the weather or the interruption. Yes, I would say the the interruption helped Andre to. After I read his book, he was nervous. He couldn't put the ball in. It's, yeah, it's all very interesting. But uh, the truth is that. Um, and that day, the conditions were a little bit windy, which is not so comfortable for his game. I played very smart. I could cover the court. It would be difficult for him to make a winner. So I gave him not so much speed or timing. You know, I played the smart tennis and I made him make mistakes. He was making the mistakes in the first set, in the second set, in the third set. And um, honestly, I say it um, now 20 years and um, I realized it... Um, I realized it probably after five years uh, what mistake I made. After 20, 20 years, I can confirm that yes, it's this mistake. I wanted to make to win the match. You know, I felt that um, I make him lose. I'm playing to make him lose. I'm not playing as a player to win. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm there to to make him lose. And it's not pretty. I wanted to hit some winners. I wanted, you know, I wanted to go for the shot. It turned out that I went for the, for the shots. He won those points. He got the confidence back. He stole the third set, mm -hmm. which was the key point, and he got the confidence back. Then the wind calmed down, and even the the, the tactic that I came back to to play smart already didn't work so much, you know. So then one break in each set. Then uh, I let the match slip away from. In my honest opinion, from from my own mistake, I I uh, went away from the winning tactic, even though it wasn't pretty. <laughs> but I stepped away in in the favor of the show of, of something mm -hmm. you know something spectacular, and I paid the huge huge price for this. And now I see when the players are making the same mistakes, I cannot even explain them how expensive it is, you know, to do this mistake. You know, you play a winning man and you try something new like like you already won and you start losing the match. You know, I see it now in my students, but 
the fact that the, the truth is uh, all the credit to the team of Andre with Brett Gilbert and him and his physio and all the guys who helped him he won he won that match but in a way I can honestly say that I let him win this match not uh, from from anything but from my own mistakes tactical so I think that that raises a really interesting point about tactics in a match and how in that match obviously you you change your tactics do you think if you had a coach there's a lot of talk at the moment about having on-court coaching would you would you be in favor of that generally and do you think that would have helped you then or what's your opinion well on that? i'm in favor of this uh, generally i don't want the coach on the court i wouldn't say that um, in 99 it would be uh, necessary mm-hmm. or it would change something you know in this match we're talking about for sure in the different matches the coach on the bench would always help like in Davis Cup you play the guy tells you what to do the next two days or the next two games you don't worry about uh, you know the game plan he tells you you do it if uh, you don't win it's his fault (laughs) 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 so in a way it would be easy yeah but um, no in that match for sure not in this tennis today I think it would be nice to have a coach helping at certain point officially to a player either after the set or you know timeout for one minute you can come on the changeover and, and use these three timeouts or something like this during the match because sometimes even even for spectators if you analyze you see a beautiful match then the guy goes something stupid the match goes another way nobody enjoys it anymore and and, and so on and so on and i think this uh, and 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 the worst is that uh, when it happens to young players the road on the on the straight it goes left right you mm-hmm. know and you could save these moments because you can only talk to your student after the match and if you could say this during the match i think it would help it would save a lot of uh, a lot of extra hours in practice and you know you wait until your next try in the tournament and then in the tournament you get I'm in favor of coaching for but, for men's. But you don't think it would lose kind of the essence of tennis? How the individuality? Mm. It would, but it would, we are, you would we be gaining game. something else. Y- yes, and also the coaching exists so heavy in the men's tennis, so heavy. So it's kind of stupid to hide it. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not. No, no. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that it exists during the matches. You know, no, no. signs. No, 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 no. Not that, but. Statistics. Look at the team of every player. Now they have a physio, a coach, another coach, aspiring. This, all these people, they know tennis. When they talk about the match, they all have their own say. Imagine how much information you get already from, you know, it's coaching all the way. You know, plus for sure, for sure, I'm sure that some teams, at least I would do it, you know, you make a certain signals where you change the tactics or something like this. Not obviously, you know, plates with the forehand or something like that, but, you know, a certain signs where you, you all know what, what to do. It makes it a little bit stupid because, uh, stupid looking, because uh, millionaires, highest paid coaches act like criminals <laughs> doing the sign instead of making it official like in, like in other sports. Yeah. Um, I'm to be honest. If there will be voting, I would vote for uh, for the trial of three years or two years of coaching. Okay. And then to see if it's not working for our sport, then to go back, but not to do any anything radical like 
we cut it this way to see, to try, you know, because tennis is developing very good. And the time when I when I stop, uh, I remember 2002. People saying tennis is in stagnation and this, there will be no money. No, tennis is doing fantastic, and it's it's because it was able to to open eyes and change with the time, with the modern time. Mm-hmm. This adding adding the coaching stuff. Um, I think it will add the interest to the game. If not, you can always you always, can always go cancel. Back. Yeah, it's not uh, you know you don't need to do anything radical. So the loss to Agassi was actually the sixth time that you lost to the Roland Garros champion in '92 yeah. to Curia, '93 four to Bagheera, '95 to Musta, '97 to Curtin. Do you think you should have won Roland Garros? Do you have any regret about not no, I, winning? No, I, I won it by juniors. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I won it uh, as a senior. Should have, could have, yes. Should have, I think, is not the right expression. Mm-hmm. Uh, Agassi should have won, <laughs> and she won. But I could have won. I would have loved to win, but uh, yeah, it's a fate. It's plus, it's. Um, I honestly feel that it's my fault. It's not. Um, all the, again, all the credits to Andre. <laughs> Don't get me wrong, but it was my fault that I made this mistake. It was on your racket. Yes, yes, and it was, uh, you know, nobody's to blame. Not the coach, not the weather, not the rain, not, not the boy. It's me. It was me. So. And a, another point about your your sort of state in 1999. You you just got back together with Anka Huber, mm. and you. Be interested if you could comment on this fan- amazing quote you gave during the tournament. You said, "I don't think there's anybody happier on earth than me right now. It's like a second birth in tennis, in life. When there's love, you're inspired. You can write poems, you can write music, you can play good tennis." Yeah, I can. You can put it all in capital letters, and I sign it today. It's true. Yeah, no, but it's true. When you when uh, uh, when I say this uh, these words, uh, and I back them up completely. Yes, it's true. I was in love, and I was, you know, I was. Uh, uh, reunion or uh, with the person that I love or they like and uh, reunion with tennis and I'm playing in Paris you know for, I didn't play for one and a half months I think or two months more or less from uh, Monte Carlo it was my first match I miss tennis it's in the beautiful the girlfriend here you know I'm happy yes it's true and yes uh, you inspired you you don't feel the pain you don't feel the uh, the tiredness you don't feel the fear you know and you look like flying yes soon you go down <laughs> <laughs> the arrival is coming and it's not um, uh, it's not it's I don't think it depends on the person I think you can still love the person but all these feelings in the beginning you know and when they when you're really high and flying I don't think you can compare it to then the normal life with the special moments in it. You know, it's a total general, uh, you know, uh, expression and the vision, and you are, you know, you are flying. You know, so yeah, it all worked out. It's true, and I can honestly say that it should work today to any person. If you're in love, if you are with a great person, if you're inspired, and if you're doing the job that you know and you love, for sure, result will be good. You know, you might not win, but you will definitely improve your game and win next time, you know. Mm-hmm. But, but for sure, for sure, for sure, it's the most productive time. Sometimes maybe we we overanalyze people's performance on court and forget about all the off-court stuff that has such a big impact as well. It, it does. More more, I tell you more. that uh, I'm surprised that <laughs> nobody brings it up. You know, uh, 
or nobody brings it up to the extent of where people can say, yeah, look, these guys are human beings. Yeah. They all have dogs who get sick. They all have girlfriends who get mad and parents who get, you know, whatever. You know, they all have human problems. Plus, they're also shy and they're afraid and they were not prepared that everybody is asking for nortograms, you know. They were not raised by that. It all came from the from the results from the sky. Mm. You know, the money, the, the fame, the everything. No, no, nobody's so ready for this, you know. <laughs> the people, I think it would be interesting if the players could open up and, and say, you'd see the real human beings who are not uh, supermans, you know, just the normal, like like us, you know. After I stopped playing tennis, I met many, many, many different kind of people, the social people, the sport people, the war people, the political people. <laughs> They're all the same. Mm-hmm. They're all the same. It's just what, what we bring from us uh, matters. And I think it would be an interesting story if somebody could explain... <laughs> What it, what it takes uh, before the final just so you know it was difficult for me to tie my shoes the, the hands were a little bit shaking okay. I was afraid I tell you what I was afraid I was afraid that the 15,000 people or more than 10,000 people who came to watch the match will see a bad match from me I was afraid to play bad that was that was the feeling that I remember that uh, that I was and I was scared like this. So how did you then overcome that and play a good, great yeah. first two sets? Yeah, but but <laughs> it happens before many matches. It's just that the before some matches you feel the responsibility of playing live on TV or in front of a big crowd. You feel that you must. Um, you must be inside the rules and inside inside the standards of of what people want to see from the professional. So. Uh, before other matches you're also nervous and then before this one I was nervous because of that there was too many people and I, and I want to see I, would, I want that uh, they see a good final And but overcoming is uh, like in a match where you play first round the second round against somebody you go on a warm up you don't look around you look you concentrate on what you do your body tells you your muscles help you your brain becomes uh, oxygen becomes <laughs> and then you work you mm-hmm. know? Bad or worse, uh, still nervous or not nervous at all, but but it works. You don't get uh, you know stuck forever. But the the feelings before the match are like this. Just so you know, nobody goes. Oh, I'm going 15 times now. I'm going. No, nobody does that. <laughs> Everybody goes. Everyone's nervous. Yeah, nervous and getting ready and uh, yeah, it's, it's 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 the game. So what what happened after that tournament? At the time, did you think it might be a kind of second wind in your career? or? Yeah, I, I wanted it to be a second wind. And yes, it was. And it was um, it was productive time. I think if I had a different kind of personality or character, I would gain much more from, from, from this result. But I am who I am and I had fun. I enjoyed the win, although it was a loss. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I went on to you know to do the celebrity stuff, you know, like in Ukraine and so on, which was big mistakes, you know. You if should, I should have. Yeah, but look, look. I admit that if if you take a professional guy, for example, who want to become professional, then I would try to teach him to avoid to do the mm-hmm. things that I did. On the other hand, I only understood them when I did them. So I had to try them in my personality. I'm sure that many people would do the same. If I uh, could, I would, of course, uh, not do something else, but I would undo some things that I've done. (laughs) You know, I wouldn't do them at all. 
I would just lay in bed or, you know, whatever. Do anything else, but not that what I've done. And that, um, that could have been changed. The only excuse that we have is that we didn't have enough information, enough stories of, of people who succeed, especially in tennis, that you could analyze and, and make a certain program. Like now, people understand what you must do, more or less, to become good. Mm -hmm. And if you do, if you follow and you, be, and you stay healthy, you have a good chance. And it's true, it's really true. Back then we didn't know. I practiced nine hours a day from... 16 years old until 19 years old. I had already one surgery and another one coming up. And my coach was telling me that Jim Courier is practicing more. That nine hours is not enough. He didn't know. It's not like he could call or WhatsApp the, 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 yeah. the, the coach, Brad Stein or Jose Jugueras. It was just, you know, just out of the sky. The guy practices more. You need to go 12 hours. It's true. It's not, it's not bullshit. Nine hours for every day, for a few weeks. Uh, only on Saturday it's like six hours and Sunday off. Imagine. We had no idea. And the guy was telling me that the other guys are playing more. Now it's different. Now you can, you know, you can analyze the, the, the work of uh, Novak, Rafa, Federer. And you can take, you can really pick the things that work. Like, let's say, uh, Federer yoga. No, this is the answer why you're not injured. Rafa, five hours in a day, but straight five hours, without any, you know, physical everything mm. one time. Novak with his system. You know, you can really now choose and have an access to it. Plus, you have the scientific and medical and, you know, science that stepped into the sports very heavily. And you have all this information available. You know, it's an interesting time we live in. And back then, it was also great, but <laughs> we were like... Uh, blind cats, you know, yeah. just, just trying this and that. And yeah, uh, coming uh, from the Soviet Union, you know, getting the first freedom, you know, of the money and, you know, this and independence. The most important is that I didn't have to tell anybody that I'm going somewhere, <laughs> like, which was, which was, you don't understand what it is. But, <laughs> but when you were growing up? Yeah, you... yeah, yeah, you have to tell KGB and, and they decide you go or not to go. Mm -hmm. Everybody, it's not, I'm not complaining, but it was the system. Maybe it was good, maybe wrong, but when you get rid of it when you don't have to tell him of course you feel free and uh, you go you do crazy stuff and uh, yeah this is the only thing I would un undo some stuff <laughs> Hi this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ the official ETF of the NCAA the future isn't scary not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're 
you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. And you've mentioned a lot of the current players there. I'd love to get your thoughts on the game today and, in particular, someone who I think career compares stats-wise quite similarly to you would be Alex Ver- Alexander Zverev so far yeah. in that before you turned 22 you'd won 10 titles, 3 of them Masters he's won 11 titles 3 of them Masters, you'd been ranked number 4, he'd been ranked number 3 your best result at a slam had been a semi-final, his had been a quarter-final do you see any parallels there with Zverev in, uh, beyond that? Yeah He's also doing the wrong thing. <laughs> Some of the wrong thing, but I don't blame him because also he's coming from the. Uh, he's a great guy, first of all. I really have a great, great respect to the whole family. I know his father and mother since I was a kid, small kid, not mm-hmm. not tennis, but just small kid. They were coming. He was a legend. His father in the Soviet Union was a legend. He was the biggest player that everybody would come and watch. His mother was a great personality. Everybody loved her as a, as a girl. You know, she was pretty. And then, and then we knew that, that they have sons, and they're in Germany, in Hamburg. I saw them in Hamburg when I played. I remember a little bit that uh, Alex, the old Alex, saying that yeah, I have two kids. They play tennis. Blah blah. We, you know, chit chat. And now he comes and, and you know he becomes successful. It's difficult. I, I see that they are very professional. They are trying to be. Uh, uh, avoiding the mistakes, but the personality of Alex reminds me a little bit of uh, of us. You know, he's a kid. He's <laughs> he likes to have fun. You know, I think um, when he worked with Juan Carlos Ferrero and then Ivan Landel and whoever he will work with, it will be difficult for for the coach. You know, because the guy likes to have fun. He wouldn't be on time. Yeah. You know, each time, and uh, for him, it's not important. And, and, w- and will he will he have to change that himself to achieve what people think he can achieve? We don't know. We don't know that. This this is difficult question to answer. This you have to know him much better, and I don't. Um, 
there are two options, <laughs> there are two ways. Either he does or he doesn't. You know, he can become great uh, by himself because of his personality, like John McEnroe, or like Novak Djokovic, or who would say these two are, would mm -hmm. be enough. Or he could go methodical and this, but th that will change his personality. Can he play with this personality better than without it? We don't know. Mm -hmm. It's just that simple. It's not uh, how to say. It's not a science. You know, I have a feeling that uh, it's important for Alex to be happy, Alex, and then he will create the wins. You know, it will be difficult for him. To, it's, I'm not saying that it's impossible, but it will be difficult to make uh, out of him a machine, Alex, that will go forehand back and forehand serve, forehand back, you know, like he needs the flair. Yeah. My opinion. But uh, for sure, a little bit of both, a little bit of discipline and the combination of, of freedom would work for, for, for him and for anybody, any player. Although I must admit that some players... Uh, you must tell them where to hit the ball, and then they feel safe. Then they feel <laughs> good and not nervous. And yeah, I can, it's also fun. You can you can go. You can say you go there, 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 and you see the guys doing this, and and you're on the right way. With Alex, I think it's difficult to do this. He's more creative guy. You need to give him a general idea, peace in his head, freedom, but put. The, okay, you can go from here to here. It's a long way. Don't go over here, <laughs> and don't go over there. You know, because then it's you're out of there. And then he can go. In my opinion, of course, it's not a, uh, it's not a new uh, way. Of course, he can be, and he should be number one, and at, at one day, mm -hmm. just like Tsitsipas, just like the other young guys who are coming in. They're the future. You can see that immediately. Whether they can handle, will be able to handle what comes with it. We don't know, but uh, with the experience that they saw already from us, from our generation, I think they will be all handling it well. Uh, I remember when Novak was coming up and uh, people were comparing his, oh, he lives in Monte Carlo, oh, he bought a boat, oh, he bought a fair, oh, he's going crazy. No, it's, it doesn't uh, make him less tennis player. It doesn't make him less professional if he buys some toys, especially that he deserves, you know, it's not, he didn't borrow the money, he earned them mm -hmm. by, by sport. so, and uh, it worked for him, he became number one later on, you know, so it's it's different, and on the other hand if you take uh, other uh, from the history players, the guys who spend money on, on flashy things, you know, they never became number one you know, and so it's, it's personalities wise and you can analyze it as long as you want but uh, for for Alex Verif, I think uh, the important will be combination of discipline and total freedom yeah total freedom because he's is a creative guy he will create the way to win you know it's it's his it's his uh, natural uh, area where he's like water for fish you know so. and Roger Federer is back at back at the French Open you, I hope he wins. <laughs> you hope he wins the yes, French Open. Yes, yes. You had a winning record against him when he was obviously yeah. very, very <laughs> like young. Him. Yeah, like him. Yeah, when he was very young. He should have won that match. We played in Rome. I remember he won the first set. I remember that I was losing in the second, and I couldn't find any way to beat him. Any hole where I can, you know, stick and, and go and go and, and and win the match. I remember that I tricked him. I remember that I started to make arguments with umpire, you know, this and this. I got the warning for that, 
and somehow I managed to win the second and third set. But uh, it was pure luck. And uh, he was immediately after the match, I told to Peter Lundgren in the locker room that the guy hits the ball where you don't expect every ball. You know, all the normal guys would hit the cross court from this. And this fucking guy goes for the line and makes it all the time. And every time I leave him this shot because he's not going to make it, he makes it. And I was complaining to, to, to him. And uh, I told him that if he continues like this, it's just very difficult to play because you really don't know. And I was considered not the worst from intellect, uh, you know, on the court. I knew more or less where the people would go. And this guy, every time, every single shot was like, you don't know. Yeah. <coughs> he couldn't prepare. And then, yeah, and, uh, the way he handles the wins, the way he suffers the losses, the way he presents tennis. I mean, you can do so many compliments, you know. We thought that Pete was great ambassador. We thought that um, Agassi was great for the... But really, really great, I think, is Roger for, in, you know, for everything, what he's done on the court and especially off the court. He maintained this uh, gentlemanship. You know. That's fascinating that you could tell even then that he had something so special in yeah, his game. Yeah, it's, it's a true story. It was immediately after the match because you, you talk to players and um, I liked him. We practiced a few times with, uh, with Roger before this match. And uh, my coach at that time, I think, was Bob Brett. He was a friend of Peter. So, you know, it was natural that we talk. I'm not saying that after the, every match you come and you talk and this, but it was natural. It was, it was then. Roger went to the, to the show. Roger didn't hear this. But then uh, I told Peter, I said, fuck. And, and it's true. You, don't, you cannot say this about everybody, you know? You, you win the guy, you beat the guy. Yeah, it was better today. But this guy, you, you could really say that mm -hmm. he plays so uncomfortable. It's, it's you know, it's like... <laughs> and you mentioned that to beat him, you kind of had to disrupt him. Yeah, yeah. Do you kind of wish more people did that to some of the players today? I'm no, no. I think it's ugly. Okay. <laughs> I think it's within the rules, uh, but it's ugly. It's ugly win. <laughs> but you have to do everything to Many win. Many huh? people would take it. Yes, I agree with you. It's just my personality. I prefer clean. Okay. I don't feel good when I cheat. Even with so many years would pass, you know, my soul, you know, when you really, I cheated that match. I wanted sneaky. Within the rules, yes. It's for sure. You're allowed to, to get violations. You're allowed yeah. to complain. You know, you're allowed. But I knew that I did it to break his rhythm. <laughs> you know? so, so, if you were playing Nadal at the French Open, you and your ball, prime... Attack, attack, attack every ball and drop shot. Drop shot and attack. Attack and drop shot. No long points. <laughs> okay. Any underarm serves? The, no, no. Respect must be respect. Respect is, uh, is, not, um, is not questionable. It's... Uh, if you make an underserve uh, to a friend, okay, he accepted you, laugh, you smile. If you do to opponent, Roland yeah. Garros, I know that players did it before from cramping and so on, but you don't like it. It's 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 like disrespect. Mm -hmm. For me, the the beautiful part of tennis remains the gentlemanship. Is that you're separated by umpire? You're within the pack of rules. You you cannot go very far. About these rules, you get out. You know, you 
so it's 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 a it's a fair sport i would say you know you cannot go completely crazy but uh, you can still do some stuff you know if you need to it's just that some <laughs> you get pissed off from from yourself and then you win sometime at that time with roger i did it to to break his rhythm and that's that's cheating <laughs> it's not fair do you think nadal will win this tournament yes who do you think can beat him Everybody. <laughs> Everyone can. But, uh, no, who, no. Who I, might? Who, who might beat him? Roger might beat him if he beats Wawrinka. Uh, Wawrinka can beat him if he beats Roger. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, Novak can win. And there's a great quote you gave about playing Agassi. You said it was like taking dictation from someone who's talking really quickly. <laughs> Do you see any parallels there with Djokovic? Just that relentlessness of him. Is, is it could be yes, it could be. But but I think Novak gives a little bit more time than Andre. No, mm-hmm. well, you, I have a feeling. Okay. You know, you have to stand on the court to understand it. For example, I stood on the court where Rafa played. I was supposed to replace his sparring who, who was late. So I arrived to the center court and right behind me arrived the sparring who was late. So they allow me to stand on the court. Right, this he spins, he stops spin. They're arriving here and I was 193. You know, <laughs> I watch on the ground and say, if you don't take this ball here, forget it. Forget it. I mean, you cannot, you know. So, uh, what did you ask for? About playing Djokovic. Djokovic, yeah. I don't know how his balls are. You know, it's, it's important to see how they if they push you, if they they high. But, um, but, but he's got the ability to take Nadal's balls at the right height. Yes, he, he's got, he's got the, he, from all the players, I think it, it's uh, Roger and Novak are able to take the ball early uh, easier for Novak more harder for Roger but um, this would be the tactic that I play against for sure there is another tactic that you can beat Nadal which is? make winners from <laughs> from everywhere <laughs> I don't know you is know, that a tactic? <laughs> yeah you go for the winners you know, you go for the winners. You don't give the you don't give the guy any rhythm. You don't give him what he likes. You know, and uh, you go for it. You stick to it until the end. The problem is that uh, Rafa played so many times already here, and I'm sure that this tactic came out against him a few times, and he knows what to do against it. But uh, you know, um, every player still hopes that he can do it. Everybody couldn't, but he can. <laughs> and so I have a feeling that. This is the only way to try. If you don't do it, you have no chance at all. So, yeah, you have, you must. I don't see how who can beat him in the rallies. Just rallying on the baseline, he would finally push you off with the, with, you know, open the court and win. You have to close this court. You have to, you know, you have to block it on the baseline. And this Noah can do, uh, Roger can do, and uh, I don't know if Del Potro can do, you know, mm-hmm. but. But whoever wants to beat him here, he must produce this kind of tennis. Two losses that he had to Suderling and to Djokovic happened when he was not in his best. And the guys played like this. Yeah. You know, they, they just took it early and, and didn't let him control the match. And if, I could, if we could project into the future when they've, when they've all stopped playing, 
where do you think they'll be in terms of Grand Slam count, those three, Federer, Nadal and Djokovic? Do you, For the numbers? Yeah, do you have a sense of who might... I don't know, what's might, the numbers now? So Federer's on 20, Nadal 17 and Djokovic 15. I would think that uh, Roger has at least two slams in him, at least two. At least two him. more? At least two more, at least. Wow. Wimbledon. It's a, it's a fair, you can say, that he's got the chance that you open. He takes the ball early now. He, he stays on the baseline. He doesn't go anywhere back. Every time, with every shot, he gets more and more comfortable with this. He, he's doing this for, for, for the last year. No, he's standing on the baseline. Yeah. He's taking the ball early. If everything clicks, who, who will beat him? With his experience, with his, you know, short points, quick surface, confidence, crowd support... Empire support. <laughs> that is true. I'm, I'm, I'm saying that uh, not that uh, there is a chance to cheat or with the Hawkeye and everything, but umpire support. Believe me, <laughs> such thing exists when you umpire is friendly to you. What Sitsapas has said that about playing the top players that yeah. he thinks they get maybe not preference, but no, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's just friendliness. You feel mm-hmm. you feel comfortable on the court. You feel that the umpire is a friend of yours and he can help you. More than that, umpires willingly act like this if they respect the player automatically. You know, it's it's a nice part of, of the game. So if so, if we're giving Federer twenty two, what about the others? Do you think? Do you Rafa, think Rafa. Roland Garros as many times as he plays <laughs> another three, four, five. we don't know although it will be difficult now with Dominic team I forgot Dominic team Dominic is tough and he is capable I think of, of winning he's Austrian he's, uh, I saw him in the big matches he doesn't get you know he doesn't get down the shoulder and he continues to hit so um, yeah, and the next year Tsitsipas again, and uh, and Kachano. Yeah. There's a lot he's of gonna, guys. Yeah, he's gonna, he's gonna, he's gonna have a tough time soon, uh, Rafa. But uh, and what about Djokovic? For sure, three, four, five. Novak, if he plays like this, I mean, three every year, <laughs> and as many years as he plays, two every year. You know. So do you think he he could ultimately end up with the most slams? It could be. Yes. Is he the youngest from all? Mm. It could be, yeah. If he doesn't hug the trees anymore, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, Novak is great for sport. Novak is a, is a legend. Even even the thing that that he did this with the you know this different trade. No, different way way of training. His personality needed it. It's not for sure. It was not an experiment or something for fun. I'm sure that he came to a point winning four Grand Slams in a row. What, what's my next motivation? You know where they find the energy to practice it's tough it's tough you cannot blame him but but he showed he showed how what happens you know everybody was like what the fuck are you doing and then (laughs) how you playing and then he stopped came back to work number one slam 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 it's beautiful it's it's what 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 is needed i think for for everybody to see that is there any danger that if he gets to the top of the mountain again something like that could happen again or do you think he'll have learned from that I think he, he would have learned from that. He seems like a very, very intelligent and smart guy. And he loves tennis. I, I think what he does, he does it from, from the heart. It's not acting. It's not, uh, it's not like he smiles to you and then goes uh, stone face when you know, you're not watching. You know, he actually does it from the heart. 
and um, if he continues to be this motivated and this fit it's just that very difficult to beat him best of five yeah you can beat him in two sets you can you know you can win two sets it's very difficult best of five and so yeah ultimately he you know he will lose matches but just saying that it will be very hard job to do you know so he could win another five six seven eight slams you know that's and, fascinating uh, and it's not uh, it's not something that is uh, unthinkable it's actually pretty logical if you count and calculate the only conditions that uh, that he needs is health and motivation yeah health ultimately motivation without dropping it he doesn't need an extra margin just just keep the same you know and he can do it and finally what are you up to these days i'm captain i'm now i'm excited about the period of my life because um I'm a captain of Davis Cup in Ukraine since two years. Uh, involved in tennis in Ukraine since many years. And now with the success of Elina Svitolina and the Marta Kostyuk and the other girls from you know from, from Ukrainian tennis, a lot of kids, a lot of kids now they come into tennis. The federation that um, that we have in tennis is uh, sponsored by a president of the federation so it's always a private money and it's not so much and now finally with the results of Elena we get the support of the government and uh, we are in process of constructing our first national tennis center in Ukraine where talented juniors will be able to practice and um, the coaches that uh, have a connection with the with the national team will be able to coach that. <coughs> so we think that we're ahead of, of uh, very exciting times. Mm-hmm. We, we, we finally have a professional uh, base for training. We finally have motivated, you know, everybody's motivated. Everybody wants to repeat the success. Everybody wants, you know, to go far. And that's great. And I'm in charge of the men's tennis in this. And uh, yeah, I would love to go on a tour again hopefully with the Ukrainian players Mm -hmm. and uh, the period of the time where I decided to stay at home for sure is coming to an end in two years is my daughter will be nine my son is 12 already I wanted to to catch this part where they they grow up it was a decision that I wouldn't travel I just needed to stay with them and so yeah it would be great if in these two years we can prepare somebody good you know to yeah, it's, it's exciting times yeah and what do you think of the Davis Cup changes the new format well or I like are you adopting like, a wait and see well, approach well I like yeah my position is wait and see but I like uh, the idea of playing everything in in one week it's just that for me it's kind of hard to imagine that uh, how they do it with so many teams and so many matches and I just don't see it I don't see the picture in my head I, mm-hmm. I don't imagine when I see it you know I think uh, after this year you can um, you can ask in generally I'm not uh, I'm for the changes in tennis if they're logical if they're progressive and they're modern and so on this decision yeah is very questionable very questionable but for the top players and for the you know high level players let's say i think it's more comfortable to play everything in one week and you, especially if you get more money and you play against the teams immediately same conditions you know it it it, it makes the competition fair on the other hand the davis cup was always the tournament through the year you know you play a match there a match there a match here a match mm-hmm. here it was the the sauce. This was the the you know the point of it. 
whether we will lose it or not, we'll see in one year. But um, like I say, you don't need to, with the coaching, you don't need to do anything radical. Try it a couple of years to see if it works. Finance, happiness of the players, point, whatever, you know, and, and cancel it if it's not working. Yeah. Not to be afraid to cancel. This is the most important. Like in our country, they make mistakes and then continue to make the same mistake, hoping that no, soon it will change. No, you have to stop and do the different one because this is a mistake. You know what I mean? Yeah, and the right. sooner you do it, the better for everybody it will be. You know, if you have an illness and you take an aspirin and you should take a ibuprofen, you know, and you hope that aspirin will finally adds up and becomes ibuprofen, then you know what I mean. Yeah. So uh, you have to be you have to be smart in, uh, or you have to try to be smart in these things, and uh, yeah, and just know what you want to where where you want to end up. <laughs> Sounds very logical. I hope uh, I hope the people involved with organising it are yeah. thinking as clearly as that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> 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 we'll see. We'll, we'll see. see. Everything. Everything. Uh, uh, you can change a lot of things. If you some things you cannot change, but in a lot of things you can influence and you can change them really. And sometimes you come to a situation which is wrong, and you say, "Fuck it, I'm not even gonna bother." And then no, you say, "No, I, I have to do it. Otherwise, I have to fix it." And you fix it. And it's not. Uh, as it turns out, it's not so big and it's not so uh, impossible to do. You know, you just have to know, you have to be, I, I need it to do it, and, and you do it. And admitting you're wrong, there's strength in that, isn't there? And what is that? There's strength in admitting that you were wrong. Yeah, but also it's nothing wrong with being wrong. Exactly. You know, everybody's wrong. Everybody, every day is a little bit wrong somewhere. Yeah. No, and just, just for us, we say, no, I'm not wrong. Oh, it's not so important. It's nothing wrong to say that, yes, I made a mistake. And, and first of all, you will look smarter in the eyes people, in the eyes of the people. You admit that yes, I learned this mistake. I will not repeat, because if you don't admit it, the person who doesn't know that you know that you made the mistake, he will think that may, next time you make the same mistake and not have business with you because of that. And if you admit, you say, look, I fucked up. <laughs> next time it will not happen. He will know that at least this will not happen because you. You know, you, you admit that you made it. And uh, that way you move forward, in my opinion. But don't take everything for... <laughs> it's just what, what I think. It's not uh, how this, it's not the rules of, for, to apply to everybody. Yeah. It's just well, everybody's different. Well you're, well, you're here to say what you think, and thank you yeah. for doing so. It's been really nice to speak to you. And thank you, we man. look forward to hopefully seeing you on the tour with some Ukrainian Sure, invite players. me to Wimbledon and I come, because uh, Tim Henman doesn't invite me <laughs> for some reason. Maybe... I don't know if he, if I have a winning record against him. Maybe because of that. Maybe if you, you see do. him, tell him, tell him that I need to come to Wimbledon. I need to check the the new surface if it's playable or not. Yes. He will understand. You might be uh, slightly <laughs> overestimating how much influence I have, but uh, <laughs> no. I'll, but tell him that you saw best. me. Yeah, you saw me, and you say that I was not happy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thank you very much. Okay, Matt. So there's Andre Medvedev with Matt Roberts. I, I loved that interview. I, I found it absolutely fascinating. And it certainly has given us a way to fill in an hour of our time on the tennis podcast when we had absolutely no play to cover at all. Great trip down memory lane. Now, weather permitting, we'll be back 
for normal business tomorrow after the the remaining quarterfinals have been played, Catherine Whitaker and myself or a concoction of our various team members uh, will be back throughout the rest of the French Open. The one thing that losing a day because of rain does give you, it does give you a lot of extra matches all compressed together and that can be a fantastic atmosphere and experience as well so let's hope it ends up being really good um it'll all start tomorrow i think from 12 o'clock local time they're starting a little bit earlier which is probably very sensible and uh yeah loads of matches to look forward to do tell your friends about the tennis podcast tell your social media followers um, so that we can try to build the audience a little further. Leave us a review on iTunes if you get chance. That always helps us to, to just introduce the show to more people. And uh, we are executive produced by TennisBalls.com. Our mascot is Rio with a Y. We're brought to you in association with The Telegraph, and we'll be back with you tomorrow. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at UH1.com.